Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. So I have a question for you, and that's how do you get a busy marketing leader to give you or your agency the time of day? You can have everything perfectly positioned. You could have all the case studies in the world, and still they might not talk to you if they were not actively looking for an agency right now. So what do you do? Because you know that you have to be opening these doors consistently and early so that you are the shoe in when that need actually arises and so that you can actually encourage a solution to the problem that the brand might be experiencing. But how do you open that door to begin with? Well, it's a simple yet difficult task and its simplicity lies in descending the right words to the right people. The problem is most agencies never figure out how to do it at scale. So they remain tethered to sporadic referrals, RFP, dog and pony shows, and other stuff that tends to create a feast and famine dynamic. To get beyond this, many agencies spin their wheels even more on start and stop campaigns, and they just sort of end up as the cobbler's children forever. They, they serve their clients well, but they don't effectively market themselves. So instead of overcomplicating the sales process and trying to do everything under the sun, what if you had a repeatable process for simply opening doors, for de-risking conversations with busy and skeptical prospects? Today, I'd like to give you something that's going to help in a big way, and it's basically 10 effective agency-to-brand email templates that we have developed from thousands of campaigns. You can get that by going to saleschema.com slash templates, plural. Again, that's saleschema.com slash templates. As a little disclaimer, this lead magnet will not completely solve the problem of getting repeatable new business, but it's going to be a big step in the right direction since a little inspiration can go a long way. So that's saleschema.com slash templates. Again, saleschema.com slash templates. Today on the show, we have AJ Wilcox, who is the founder of B2 LinkedIn, an agency specialized in advertising with LinkedIn ads, which are super hot right now. So, so AJ is globally recognized as one of the, the top LinkedIn ad experts. Uh, he manages campaigns for executives and, and teams around the world. And his agency is a certified LinkedIn partner and manages some of the largest and most sophisticated accounts worldwide. So I think this was a really, really practical a useful interview. If you're thinking about dipping your toe in the water of LinkedIn ads, if that's something that might be on the horizon for you or your agency, you're definitely going to want to listen to this first. So you go in with the right expectations and you don't end up wasting a ton of money. So without further ado, please give it up for AJ Wilcox. AJ, thanks for coming on, man. I'm excited to be here, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So LinkedIn, uh, let's talk about it. Uh, I guess my first question is, what what is the state of LinkedIn in, in your estimation these days? Uh, it's kind of split. I mean, LinkedIn has never been more popular than it is right now. It's really exciting to see people embracing it, realizing the value that's there. But then there's also a ton of like mass spam that's happening. And I, I, that feels like a detractor. I, I hope it's not turning too many people away. But uh, yeah, it's it's a great network that's yeah, probably just needs a little bit more oversight. <laughs> yeah, as as with most social media networks these days. So, with that in mind, yeah, would love to hear about the sort of work you're doing um, on the platform for your clients. Yeah, sure. So we're an advertising agency that only uses LinkedIn ads. So the the LinkedIn ads platform, as I'm sure many of you know, it's similar to something like a Facebook ads, where we can target by who someone is, but we get 
all of this amazing targeting about who someone is professionally. So we can target only specific job titles and seniorities and uh, company sizes, uh, industries, names of companies. We can target lists of individuals. Uh, there's just, there's so much there. But the big downside that everyone knows who's tried LinkedIn ads is it's insanely expensive. It's like eight to $11 per click. Uh, when you're targeting anywhere in North America is kind of the average. So those are your pros and cons. It's like really high value prospects, but at a price. Yeah. Yeah. And with that in mind, you know, what, what should you be prepared for if you're about ready to launch an eight to $11 per click campaign? Yeah. What we find is, you know, you can ask anyone to do anything from an ad, but it doesn't mean they're going to be willing to do it. (laughs) So you have uh, activities that I consider really like low friction, like come and read a blog post. And you have asks that are really high friction, like talk to our sales rep or buy something, take a trial, uh, hop on for a demo. And the interesting thing is neither of those extremes work very well on LinkedIn ads. Like at the high end, you're you're paying eight to $11 a click to get people to read your blog post, which isn't going to convert very high. And then on the low side, you have, you know, you're, you're willing to pay eight to $11 for people who are ready for demos or ready to buy something. But when they click, they charge you and then they only convert it like one and a half to 4% because you're just asking too much too soon. So what we find is the area in between is really the sweet spot. It's where you're providing something of value in exchange for their contact info. And then you're going to reach out later to nurture and, you know, uh, start a relationship with them that will eventually turn into a sales conversation. So a little bit more of the long play. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And can you, can you go over some examples of that? Some things that are, that are uh, in that sweet spot that have worked yeah. for your clients? Yeah. I think webinars are the, the one that most people kind of default to. Uh, it's, like for 40 minutes, I'm going to provide you a ton of value. I'm going to teach you about a topic. And um, so that, that's kind of a no-brainer. But we also see things like, uh, here's a free guide or a checklist or a cheat sheet, uh, a free ebook, um, free in-person events tend, tend to work well when we're not in like pandemic times. Uh, so basically anything where you're providing someone like answers to their problems or satisfying their curiosities on a topic and... Yeah, you're not asking for too much. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, and uh, you know, on one hand, it's it's tough to go too tactical and to sort of figure out what's going to be right for every situation. But I think trying to figure out you know what sort of content to create from the huge buffet of options creates a lot of a lot of hand wringing for for agencies and for you know anybody else out there. So, are there any guidelines that you've seen work well for your clients to figure out what that lead magnet's going to be? Uh, Yeah, quite a few. Uh, We've done a lot of this. And what we find without fail is it almost doesn't matter what the medium is. If you're going to offer someone a a one-page checklist or an eight-page guide or a 60-minute webinar, um, that really doesn't matter. The promise of here's what you're going to learn and here's what you're going to be able to do after consuming the content, that's what gets people to convert. So if you can go and... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, keep going. I don't have anything. Yeah. So if you've got like a sales team or or people who are on the front lines talking to the customers every day, they probably have a really good idea of, you know, from all the questions people ask, what are the things that are keeping them up at night? What are their biggest challenges? What are their biggest struggles, their biggest curiosities? And then if you take those and you go and create content that caters to that, then usually it's going to be high performing. 
Yeah, that, that makes sense. And a lot, a lot of our audience, you know, are serving perhaps like a, lot, a bunch of different verticals. It might be an agency that serves, you know, whatever CPG and apparel and e-commerce and everything in between. So uh, that figuring out who, who to focus on is already, uh, I think, a, a big challenge for a lot of people. But in the context of creating a LinkedIn campaign, are there certain industries that you find to be more effective to focus on than others? Are there any ways, you know, all things being equal, it's better to focus on this group? Are there groups that are more active or less active? Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you figure that out? Yeah, we find there are some groups that, um, for instance, uh, uh, outside, I won't say all outside sales, but like door-to-door sales, uh, doctors, dentists, people who would probably be really valuable to reach, but because they don't work in front of a computer, they're uh, you can target them just fine, but they're not very active on the platform. And, and so you don't get a whole lot of traffic from them. They still can be effective though. Um, there are like anyone who works in HR or any sort of sales job function, they live on LinkedIn. And so what happens is they come and create a whole bunch of extra ad inventory and they're, um, it, it kind of deflates the prices. So I know if we target someone in sales or HR, we're probably going to pay a whole dollar or maybe two less per click targeting them just because there's so many of them. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. There's almost like a power law or Pareto distribution to LinkedIn where, you know, a huge percentage of everything that's posted in the activity is salespeople and HR people, which which makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I guess beyond that, can you talk a little bit about that follow-up process? You know, I think in a perfect world, you'd have this full stack sales team and you'd have marketing powering it and then you'd have salespeople following up. But you know, if, if somebody has limited resources, if they're uh, part-time, they're an owner maybe, or they're, they're split between a million different things, how should they think about managing a LinkedIn campaign? Well, I think um, the bigger your sales team and the more filled out your sales stack, I think the bigger of a disadvantage you are here because you're going to probably put marketing automation in place to automatically nurture people. And like, I don't care who you are, you can sniff out when you're not of value to someone versus smaller companies who let's say you have a smaller budget. So you're only going to get two or three leads per day from LinkedIn. Those three, you can go like even as the owner or as like the only sales professional, you can go and really customize an outreach. Like, Hey, saw you downloaded this piece from us. Uh, love to know if you're facing this kind of trial. We, you know, we fix this kind of thing all the time. Like, can I be of service? And it comes across a lot more, a lot more personal and people are willing to, to interact more. So they probably get a much higher response rate. Um, so I'd say just no matter what your sales team looks like, try to just come across really personal and as a, as a consultant more than a BDR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and to get, to get into brass tacks, like how, what sort of time are people typically budgeting? You know, are, like, are you often getting objections that you had to deal with where people are like, I didn't think it was good. I thought we would just get some leads and it would be great. And actually it's going to take some follow-up. Like what, what are the sort of expectations that you set with people about that? Um, right at the very beginning, that's one of my, my filtering questions is like, do you have content? Do you already have a, uh, this, kind of strategy in place, because if we have to help you design it, uh, chances are there's going to be kinks and it won't go as smoothly as possible. So I might tell them like, Hey, go and test your, your content on, let's say organic traffic or Facebook ads or something where they're less expensive. And so less risk. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we'd go in with is just letting them know, like you, 
you're going to have leads come in who have indicated they're interested in content. They're not interested yet in a demo and you've got to message it and, and put yourself in their, their mindset to get the most out of these. Right. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and is there sort of like, are there follow-up best practices that you found? Like if somebody downloads whatever, a white paper, a checklist, a webinar, you know, at what point are you finding it to be effective for somebody to be following up and trying to get them on a call? Yeah. I mean, if someone requests a demo, the faster you follow up, the better, obviously. Right. Uh, they're, they're in that mindset. <laughs> if you use the same approach to someone who just downloaded a white paper, they're going to be like, whoa, I haven't even read it yet. Like I'm, I'm on paragraph two. I haven't had a chance to synthesize. So depending on how long it takes to actually like engage with that content, uh, give them a little bit of time. And uh, I, I think that's the best practice there is just like understand what they're going to face, give them a little bit of extra time, but, uh, but yeah, do follow up. Um, it, it's, this is a time where you've gotten someone to give you their personal information, showing at least some intent. So you want to capitalize on that before they've totally forgotten that they you know, downloaded something from you. Right, right. That that makes a lot of sense. And can you talk a little bit about testing? I think that there's often a tendency to try to test everything and then you get a small company that's never done much of this before and they're getting way too in the weeds about it. So if somebody, you know, if you had to say like, just look at these one, two, three things, what, what would those be? Well, the really cool thing about LinkedIn ads is we can define like really tight micro audiences. And so for instance, if your ideal target audience are, uh, let's say, IT decision makers, even if you have a small budget, you can still break the same ad or same ads that you're testing up into two separate campaigns. And one, maybe you run towards CIOs and CTOs, and the other one, maybe VPs of IT. And right off the bat, when you're running the same content, you're going to see this flavor from them. You're going to see how do people who are chief respond to our content? And then how do people who are VP level? And you know, you find little efficiencies here and there, like maybe it's actually cheaper to reach chief level people with you know your high level of content. So then you go, great, we, we want to go all towards the, the people who hold the most power and own the budget. Yeah. And with that in mind, you know, when you're setting up these campaigns, do you find most clients have a tendency to go too, too broad or too narrow with the people they want to go after? Um, I would say probably too broad is the tendency. Uh, most business owners, when you talk to them, they've got these edge cases in mind where they'll be like, oh, we go after IT. Ah, but one time there was a, a CFO who was on our call who, who signed a deal. So we, we got to make sure we, we also target finance professionals in here. And so lots of times we're like, no, 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 go after the core first, nail it and then scale it. Like once we've nailed the core, you know, this is successful. Great. Let's run a little test towards IT. Let's run a test towards the business owners because uh, sometimes they're influential, but you know, start with just the very, very core. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And this, this might be a tough to answer, but kind of thinking, you know, about a core audience, I think a lot of, um, a lot of what our clients and agencies in general struggle with is differentiating themselves uh, because a lot of the differentiators aren't things that people get to experience until after they've already worked with the agency. It's not like a tech startup where there's something really flashy. It's like, come check out this demo for the sna snazzy thing. It's, it's more, you know, it's more ephemeral. So I'm just curious, like when you're, have you had any experience creating lead magnets or sort of really like getting to the heart of something that might be harder to sell any, any interesting stories there? Ooh. Um, 
one story in particular, we were working with a client who had four white paper. No, they weren't white papers. They were eBooks. And at first glance, I went, okay, these look interesting. They're, they're targeting an HR audience. Uh, they seem good. And we tested everything we could. I mean, we were uh, testing all kinds of imagery and all kinds of ad copy. We could not get our cost per download below like $127. And this is three months straight. I'm sure that this client's totally going to fire us because who, who in their right mind is going to pay $127 for you know, a, a content download? And then overnight, they came up with a, a piece of content that they called the ultimate guide to onboarding. And we did exactly the same strategy. We didn't change anything. We launched it overnight. Our cost per lead dropped to $27. Like click through rates went up by double, lowering our costs. And then conversion rates went up by like double or triple and bringing our costs way down uh, as well. So, uh, what that really came down to is they found a piece of content that their HR audience really had a pain point with. It's really painful to onboard a new employee and to lose them two months later because you were inefficient or, you know, Gave them the wrong info when they started and set the wrong expectations. But these other ebooks and stuff, not that important. Like they just, they just didn't care about, you know, using Excel rather than an applicant tracking system. Yeah. And there's lots of different schools of thought about, about copywriting and stuff. So I'd love to hear your experience. Like, do you think that, that leaning into loss aversion and, you know, helping people avoid pain is converting better now than, than, uh, trying to get people an advantage or pleasure? Like, what, 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 how do you see this playing out in terms of themes around uh, high converting lead magnets? Yeah, this is actually really interesting. We find, uh, we do a lot of testing of, uh, of our ad copy. We'll say, hey, here's the same offer. It's this you know, guide of some kind. Uh, let's try one version of an ad that is very aspirational. We're going to make you feel like the hero. And then another that's like, we're going to scare you to death and make you feel like you're going to get fired if you don't do this. And uh, we haven't found very many that go contrary to this. Uh, people on LinkedIn respond to aspirational. They, the fear-based stuff doesn't tend to, to get as strong a reaction as you'd think. Um, so I'm not quite sure why. I don't have much of a hypothesis, but now we do mostly aspirational. Yeah, that's that's kind of uh, heartening in a way. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that's cool. And, and I guess like one, one question to get to is like, what do, what do people need to play ball? I mean, not, not to get into your rates, but what should people be overall budgeting for in order to actually give LinkedIn, LinkedIn a, a fair shake? Oh, such a good question. If what we find is you want to make sure that you have enough conversions from your, your initial pilot that you can actually see the impact on the business. You get a feel for the lead quality that's coming in. Um, and there's enough data to actually start optimizing and you know it, it's statistically significant. So we find that that's usually between about, let's say, uh, four and a half to six and a half thousand dollars of advertising to get to that point. So we tell people, shoot for a budget during your first month of 5K. And then once you have all that data, then sit back and assess like, is this going to be a good channel for us? Or you know, did it totally suck? And then at least if it sucks, you can get out right then. But generally you're going to look at it and go, ah, this makes sense. Like we should continue to invest and, you know, tweak some things along the way to improve it even more. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that sounds like a a, a good expectation to set. And, you know, hopefully for a lot of companies out there, that's not, it's a lot, but it's not like untenable to actually get this channel that, that can scale. Um, I, I guess I'd love to get to sort of understanding like what, 
what do you think the long-term opportunity is for LinkedIn? Cause it seems like, you know, we've had, um, we've had other markets like AdWords that essentially now is mature. Like it's not like you can just dip your toe in the water of Google AdWords for most cases, unless it's like super long tail, you know, it's a very well-established process for getting in there and you're going to have to spend this amount to make this and you better have your, your game in order. And, and LinkedIn feels a little bit like it's uh it's, it's, it's newer, you know, it's more of a, of a gold rush situation. So what, what do you, uh, this might be a tough question, but what do you think LinkedIn's going to look like as a mature market? Uh, you know, I think we're closer to maturity than we we should be. Um, most people haven't adopted LinkedIn. It's still kind of a, a tier two type of platform. But when Google and Facebook started, they started with really low costs. Like Google was five cents per click when I very first started advertising there. And you know, it's it's gone up. I think the minimum is now like 20 or 25 cents. Um, but as you know, competition has has driven it up now to where it's very mature. Facebook's starting to get pretty mature because it's starting to get really expensive. But LinkedIn was never adopted like that, but they just started expensive. Like they started at a $2 cost per click floor and then competition has risen from there. Um, so I, if you want to see what the platform is going to look like, I would say, look at what Facebook is now. And four years from now, LinkedIn will probably have a lot of the same features and optimizations and bells and whistles. But I think we're probably seeing we're seeing costs rise quickly right now, and even then, it, it's like there hasn't been full adoption. So I, I think maturity is probably going to happen sooner than you know when it happened on Google, which was like you know twenty years after it started, and Facebook like eight ish years. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense, and it's going to be interesting to see how they develop it. Um, to shift gears a little bit, and maybe this is slightly slightly more outside your domain, but it's, uh, I'd love to hear like what's working in terms of the earned media side of of LinkedIn. Like, I, I, I hear different tactile recommendations all the time. Like, LinkedIn loves video. Don't you know? Don't drag people off the site and all that stuff. Like, what what do you think is working well now for getting getting views and you know building thought leadership and so on on LinkedIn? Yeah, I, I would say don't go all in on one medium. Like if you had a video that really rocked, don't go invest in a studio and, and say, okay, everything I publish is going to be a video from here on out. You always want there to be some variety because you don't want your followers uh, or people who come across your content to ever predict, oh, this is another one of those. I don't need to watch it. So keep people on their toes and wh whatever your content is, make sure that it elicits someone wanting to comment. Because a comment is the most powerful thing someone can do to your, your post. And what it does is it then makes that post eligible to be seen by that person's followers as well. And that's how we go viral. So think as you're creating it, what can I put in here that makes people want to comment and start a conversation? Then whether that's text only or image or a link somewhere else, it's going to be gold. Yeah. And any examples you can pull out of that? Any things that people can think about adding that are going to be more likely to, to solicit comments? Yeah. I was talking to a, an interior designer, um, uh, someone who like redesigned kitchens and, and did remodeling and stuff. And uh, she just accidentally did this. She put a picture up in her LinkedIn feed of, of a house and with two pictures down below um, of kitchen styles. And one was like this, like homey cottage kind of feeling. And one was kind of an industrial, like a super kitchen, uh, super stainless steel, uh, you know, amazing kind of a production kitchen. And she just put A and B like for this home, which would you choose? And 
tons of people started commenting like, I'd go A because this, or I really like B because I do, you know, mass cooking on the weekends or whatever. And she had all of these comments. And with like, I don't know, 300 connections, this post got like hundreds of thousands of views. And so that just goes to show like, I mean, it, she did, just kind of happened on it. It was an accident. She was asking people to comment, but you know, think of what can you do that uh, like polls and stuff. Uh, just what would you do in this situation? Those kinds of things make people want to share their opinion. Yeah. And I think there's a great like meta lesson in there, which is don't be afraid to just try things and be creative and not, not be searching for best practices. Like we're giving people at all times. Yes. Right. So yeah, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Well, and the reason why it's so easy to go viral on LinkedIn is I think everyone's scared to post there. So only 4% of professionals post on LinkedIn, but a hundred percent of us need stuff in our newsfeed when we log in because it's the homepage. So uh, those who are posting, those who are creating, they're getting an outsized benefit right now and realize that if you put something out there that you're not proud of, that doesn't like, doesn't go viral, doesn't get a whole lot of engagement, like don't let it embarrass you. It's going to be gone within six hours. No one will see it again. But if you really do hit it and get a lot of engagement, then people will be seeing that post for an entire week. Yeah, it's sort of like an interesting social dynamic because everybody has sort of like professional, you know, implications on what they what they post or choose not to post and everything. So it's it's almost like everybody's waiting for everybody else to go first. Yes, true. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting place. So with that, as you kind of like getting to the end of the time, I'd love to hear just what you guys are up to these days. Which what's keeping you busy? Yeah, uh, it's been really exciting. We took a nice hit during COVID. Several of our our you know. Uh, mid-sized clients left that hurt quite a bit. Uh, but within you know, two or three months, we've been back full force. I've just been back to back with sales calls and, and record onboards. So uh, I have a, a strong feeling about like the direction that we're going. People took some time off with all of this like financial unsurety going on, but uh, I, I think people are ready to go back to work. And so that's keeping me nice and busy. Uh, we're also just doing a bunch of content creation. Uh, we doubled the size of our team just a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and brought on a, a sales team. So uh, we're excited for the growth that's happening and just excited to be capitalizing on the growth that LinkedIn's seeing because LinkedIn ads has never been hotter. Yeah, that's great to know. And with that in mind, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn's really easy. Just make sure you... You find me. It's AJ Wilcox. I'm the the chubby, smiling ginger. Pretty easy to find. And just make sure you customize your invite. Like, let me know that you heard me on the show, and uh, and that way I'll know to accept it. Because I, I I'm a little stingy about who I accept from. Like, I, I don't I don't want the spam. <laughs> so just let me know you heard me here, and uh, I'll be happy to accept and chat with you. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. And glad that you're practicing what you preach by using that <laughs> as the main medium. So that's great. AJ, thank you so much for your time, man. A great interview. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Dan. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. If you would like to get access to 10 effective agency-to-brand email outreach templates, again, this is a way to get inspired and open doors tastefully with your future dream clients by learning from real campaigns. So if you'd like to get access to that, you can go to saleschema.com slash templates, plural. Again, that's saleschema.com slash templates. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.